Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello listeners, this is the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, that black and white lens on the championship and beyond. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your guide today as we look at Borough, the Mitrovic debate and preview our trip across London to the Valley this week. Joining me are two bastions of the Fulham scene. He's taking his eyes off La Liga to talk FFC. It's the Professor, Mr. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. And our favourite import from across the Atlantic. Mr. Nathan Martin. Hello, hello. I'd be remiss not to wish you a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day because that's what <laughs> Americans do. That's no, I like that. Day. Well done. Fair play. Happy Being Martin Luther okay, King Day to you as well, Nate. Thank you. How are we? We good? We're all good. Real good. Yeah. Really, really good. Looking we all have to the Valley on Yeah, but I say we all got tickets. We're all going to uh-huh. make the trek. Is there anything better than winning on a Friday night and then not worrying about it for the whole weekend and just been like oh it's good like you can watch the other results come in if they go your way great if they don't you're like well we didn't lose any points gorgeous watching lose Leeds lose like the, in the fashion they did I just sat there just cackling brilliant cheering very happy everything was very Brentford good as well yeah just like not getting maximum points out of things just a, it was just a good weekend like, like, I gotta be honest went to the football on Friday night didn't really follow the football except for maybe the NFL over the weekend because I was like, man, mm-hmm. we got what, what, what mattered. Mm-hmm. Saw QPR do what they did. So played football on Sunday morning. Got a nice result there. Chelsea, Chelsea lost. Chelsea lost. It was basically like, you know, if you're a full-on fan. Now, like, we're recording this Monday evening. We have no idea what's going to happen this evening. If Stoke can do a number on West Brom tonight. We will basically have had the perfect yeah. Fulhamish weekend. It's been, a, it's been a good weekend all round. Just before we get on to three word reviews and Benjamin, I hope you've got some, some good ones I've lined up. I've got so many up. George Cooper will be so <laughs> jealous of me. Is it? Well, I mean, that's now the aim to make Coops jealous on every single episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but before we do so, we've got a couple of things to plug. The first is if you are not going to Manchester at the weekend, then we're thinking about having a couple of drinks and watching the game at the Old Suffolk Punch on the Fulham Palace Road. It's where we record all of our post-match interviews, the full-time stuff, that's all done there. So we're going to be in there on Sunday watching the game with some of us, the ones that aren't making it up to Manchester anyway. Um, So yeah, if you fancy coming to join us, then that's where we're going to be. The more the merrier, nothing formal, but we'll be about watching it. And the other thing we've got to do is tell you about our merchandise. So in December, we made a whole load of new merchandise. We've got some Mitrovic t-shirts left over. They're wonderfully designed by our main man, AF. A couple of mugs left over, and I'm not talking about the other fellas in the room. (laughs) Uh, But also, you know, there's there's loads and loads of stuff on there. So if you go to fullermish.co.uk slash shop, uh, then you can go and buy a load of stuff there. We've managed to reduce the postage costs, which has been nice in the new year. So go and have a look and see what you can find. Right, Ben, three word reviews. Over to you. Thanks, Jack. So this week we went for all social channels that we could get our hands on. Uh, obviously, keep giving your three word reviews to us every single week on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We do our best to get around to all of them and pick out the best ones. So we'll start with Twitter first. And we'll go with Tom Greatrix, who said McDonald the Magnificent. Uh, then we'll have Reed All Over, um, or also known as Dan, who said Virgil van Mike, which I know is the Fulhamish. It's quality. The, the Fulhamish conversations on WhatsApp have been a massive fan of, so well done, Dan. Uh, we then had uh, Will Brooks, 10, who said Hector the Protector, <laughs> which I think is a good and very underrated one. Strong, yeah. Uh, Jake Wilgloss said Knockhart's Great Hexpectations. 
Very good, yeah. Another very good one. Good. And we're moving. That's a lot of things being crammed into one three mm. word. That's that's impressive. It is very good from Jake there. And then um, we'll move into Instagram. We had George Sheehan with Beastly Borough Beaten, uh, and then we had Lewis A ninety six with Bobby Deckled Over Please, which is something <laughs> I can really get behind because I want him to sign permanently. Um, then Joe Kent said Jonathan Floodgates opened. Good, yeah. yeah. Well, I wish they had. Yeah. <laughs> it made my life much more comfortable. <laughs> and then if we move on to Facebook, a couple of you with some uh, excellent suggestions. Tony Mack with Mitralus Yet Marvelous. And then Andy Vella with Dennis Flipping Annoyed. Fantastic. That's a, a really real strong, strong well, This is what happens. You bring the professor in. He, got, he does his research. He gets it all this. The rest of us just scrolling through Twitter like wildly <laughs> as Sammy does the introductions going, ah! what are we going to pick <laughs> Ben's come in armed notebook out Notepad. fantastic absolutely Ticks wonderful off. let's get on to Borough and Nathan a rapid start and probably the best we've come out of the traps this season I think maybe the derby game at home as well but up there with some of the best football we've played and for the first 25-30 minutes Fulham looked irresistible I'm very happy to say I was you know there from minute one because like you said, this is probably the best that we've seen Fulham play in a while. It was energetic. It was fluid. The ball was moving around the pitch. You know, we have that chance. You know, we're, you know, this isn't Barcelona. We're not Barcelona. This is one of the few nights where maybe it actually felt like that. You know, this isn't mill, quite Millwall levels, but the ball was just just moving up and down the pitch and having Bobby up there atop. You know, pressing, kind of sliding in with a little interchange. It was exquisite, and we go. You know. Who the crap is this? Who you know? Who, who are we seeing play out here? And we got the we get the early goal six minutes in six minutes, yeah. Yep. And we think you know, my goodness, this may be a really chilled out evening. Of course, it doesn't go quite that way, but that's the type of start we need to have happen. We do love a Friday, love night, a Friday night, game. night game. We we very much haven't haven't sort of dropped points on a Friday. I think we've had one draw in that game against Cardiff away where yep. Harry Arter got sent off and, and even that felt like points gained rather than points dropped. It was one of those. The goal comes about some lovely crossfield passing. Tom Kenny slides in Joe Bryan. Joe Bryan slides it across the box and Le Passion Machamp himself comes out, <laughs> out to the back post and, and, and knocks one in. It was brilliant, really. And, you know, when you score goals like that, you're like, right, let's open them up and open them up and yep. open them up. Yeah, it never really came, did it, after that? Um, it was sort of like, I loved the first 25 minutes because we were pushing and we were probing. And I think Scott got exactly right. He knew that Woodgate was going to line up with three big central defenders who, let's face it, aren't the most mobile of guys. And if you've got Knockout Cavaliero and Bobby Reed sort of buzzing around you and running the channels and probing space, then there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with them. And I, it wasn't until he made a slight change that... We slowed down a little bit, but it was so encouraging. And actually, it reminded me a little bit of when we had Chris Martin a few years ago. And we built that team around Chris Martin and he was big, he was slow, he was it was cumbersome. <laughs> and actually, a lot of the times he would slow us down. And then we had that front three of the time of uh, Aite, Cabano and Aluko. And we were just running riot and we had that sort of like false nine system. And it did remind me of that of sorts mm. because... It's so difficult to, to track those players. And yeah, I thought we got it spot on. But then um, after a time, I think we got a little bit too comfortable. And there were too many players that sort of for a five or ten minutes sort of missed their assignments and started to drift away and do what they wanted to do. And I think the the prime standout for that sort of criticism, although maybe unjust considering the circumstances, was Kearney because... Yeah. He was drifting all over the place, uh, out way too wide, sometimes hu hugging the touchline, and it just meant that Borough had a lot of space in that midfield. Yeah, I, I was going to come on to Tom Kearney because actually in that first 25 minutes, I thought he was exceptional. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And we talked about this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago about the fact that when we missed him in the Aston Villa game, while we played well that day, 
there was there were moments where the interchanges in the middle would break down after one loose pass and there was no one to to put a foot on it and slow it down slightly and be like okay the ball's over there or the ball yeah. is to flip it out to the wing and actually in the first 25 Kenny was was strolling around and and spraying us around the park mm-hmm. and I think that's what he does best now is he he dictates play from the middle but you're, you're right, after the 25 was up and after it felt like we were comfortable, he did drift out of the game a bit. You know, I think it, it might be a bit like, you know, if you're playing a five-a-side game or 11-a-side and you're sort of bossing it and, you know, maybe you've got two or three goals and you start relaxing a little bit. Mm. And the, the thing that, that Ben's right, we were bossing it and not, and then we let up. But we also had so many chances to basically kill the game off yeah. in that first 25 minutes. We, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to get wrong on the exact minute, but you have the Anima header. Yeah. You have Caviero who gets, you know, released into the box. You have, I think Bobby Reed had a chance or two. And you kind of wonder, because Kearney had been so good up until that point, you almost wonder if you're in the middle of the pitch and you're out there playing in the game, if you almost get lulled into a false sense of security. And so yeah, Kearney absolutely. doesn't have to start tracking. Yeah. He, he's like, we're doing everything right. You're in the flow of the game. He lets up just a little bit and Burrow come back into the game. Well, yeah. I was going to come on to these missed chances. That was going to be my next point. You know, the Onima header is the one that obviously stands out. Back post, unmarked. How he doesn't score, I still don't really know. But Kearney himself was guilty of sort of just poking one into the keeper's hands when yeah, he was, was released weird. by one of the best turns from Cavalero I've <laughs> yeah. ever seen. Um, Bobby Reed was was a little bit unlucky, actually. He got through him. It was a brilliant last-ditch challenge to yeah, deny him. But Cav missed a sitter. Yeah. You know, there was a couple. Onuma missed another another chance, which wasn't quite as easy, but yeah, still probably should have. He opened up for him, didn't he? And he sliced it wide. You probably should have done better with it. And it just comes across. And st- part of me thinks, brilliant, we're creating chances after chances. And, and that, you know, I look at our XG for the weekend, for example. We look like we should have scored you know far more than we actually did and that's not even counting the offside goal um but actually i'm slightly concerned about the fact that we're not putting these kind of games away and, and it, it does lead to that like flyers five minutes where that free kick that loads everyone and rodak does brilliantly to turn over the bar or mm. the weird deflection that again rodak does brilliantly to, to keep out but all of those things are you know moments in a game that could, could change things and what should have been a comfortable win actually turned into a little bit of a oh, God, we're going to throw this away again at the end. Yeah, yeah, I, I can completely agree with your point, mate. But I think what was refreshing is if you look at this game in in contrast to the game we had against Hull where we had we, yeah, yeah, yeah. we mustered about three or four shots on Chalk target over the whole 90, we looked really, really stale. And I think that that added impetus of that front three probably gave us um, that opportunity to create much more chances. I think look at modern football now it's all about pace it's all about quick movement um, and chances will naturally come about that but yeah I think in terms of the last five minutes it's um, I think it's a Middlesbrough sort of went gung-ho they pushed Patrick Roberts a little bit more forward they pushed Tavernier forward as well and, and they started to get players in around Justed which they didn't really do for the first 80 minutes or so yeah, yeah. for a player that's um, big and he can hold the ball up well and he can control a lot of the game Justed just didn't really get players around him and Woodgate also made a change where he changed his back three into a back four mm. and uh, Howson who was playing as like a makeshift centre half moved up into midfield and it just pushed the whole team up three or four yards and I think in contrast that's what Fulham had at the start of the game which made us so impactful because we saw the return of Kevin McDonald and I tweeted out after the game that McDonald adds that structure to mm. the midfield that we so badly lack when he's not in there. Although it may sound stupid, 
pushing a midfield up like three or four yards can make a whole lot of difference on the game it makes you easier to push their back line it makes it easier for you to to impose yourselves on the game so Absolutely, yeah. yeah i just feel like there are a couple of changes by woodgate that parker could have maybe gone against but well i think, I think overall parker, we got did, parker did quite well in the fact that we lost control of the game for about 20 minutes or 15 minutes should we say at yeah. the start of the second half when, when those changes did come about but I thought the reintroduction Harry Arter coming on and Steph I thought, and, and Steph, Steph and coming you know what at the time was, Steph was brilliant I, I think you know at the time I was like why has he not brought McDonald off he's on a yeah. booking you know but actually that midfield three just went no, no no we're just going to absolutely sit here and control yeah. this game and they did so so yeah. two things I think one you know going back to some of the missed chances in the first half one thing i really did like about some of our missed chances when we were watching this is that we how many times we've we seen fulham control the ball move it up and down the pitch you know back to front no matter how annoyed the hammy in might get that the ball's going back to the goalkeeper one more time but never seem to actually create something or take a shot on goal what i really found refreshing in the first half even though we didn't convert on them mm. was that we, we were going a bit direct a bit quicker and so you know whether it was anima taking a shot i loved anima in that game like he made some mistakes but i think the, you know, we forget how young he is, mm-hmm. and the fact is, is that Fulham may th- think that they got to throw in here, but we've got a lot of upside on this kid. I mean, there's he he was highly rated for a reason, and you keep giving him the time, you give him the support. Who knows where he well, could Parker develop? Parker demanded him, didn't it, he? You, you've got, like, exactly. You've got to trust that. If that's something that Scott wants to pursue, there's a reason right. for it. And the other point being just that with K-Mac, and you you brought that in with a, with a you know watching him live, and I think there's something it's always nice about being in the stadium and watching the dynamic of the players. K-Mac was controlling the midfield just shout, shouting yelling you know bringing players up and down the pitch and it, you know just like Reem does that I think on the back line a bit and kind of providing that that that's solidity K-Mac is doing that and I think there's something that needs to be said we don't know what goes on at Montsper Park and we don't know what Scott does we see his tactics we see all the other things but players are playing the roles that they're being asked to do and Steph Joe does the same thing where he comes on provides an absolutely brilliant you know, substitution appearance. And so each player is sort of evolving and growing. And for me, that's a mark of a great manager. And, you know, I think it's showing up in some of the results and it's showing up in the end product. I yep. think it became quite obvious for, for a point that Kevin McDonald is a guy that is doing his coaching bag badges off the field. And yep. he, he's, he admitted that um, when he had the interview with Ivan the other day, that he is looking to do coaching badges at the time and he, it's having an influence on the way he plays. And, you know, he might not turn out to be a Guardiola or or something like that, but he'll be a, a a very useful tactical manager to have in the future. Yeah, I think that there's something keep that man around Botsford Park for yeah. as long as we possibly can. And you know, we thought his legs were gone, and we thought, and and you know what, he's not the fastest, but his reintroduction in the team has coincided with an improvement in the way we're playing, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's a coincidence. Someone else's introduction who has coincided with us getting better is Michael Hector, who has come in. And I'll tell you what, he was a colossus on Friday night at the back. And, you you know, there's a couple, and I think it was Nick McNee who pointed this out on Twitter, who said he made a couple of last-ditch challenges with such assurance in the way that you you don't see anymore. You know, know, it wasn't a last-ditch flying challenge, but, you know, one-on-one, you have to make it or or it's a goal Mm. or at least a very, very good opportunity to score one. And he was just sort of calm, composed. He went to ground when he needed to go to ground. We've seen Mawson and Reem this season back off players, back off and back off and back off until they shoot. And, you know, the whole game, I think at home, probably the the zenith of, of how bad that got. Hector was willing to go to ground, win the ball, play it out, goodbye. And yeah. it was really refreshing, a, a real leader at the back. I don't think he's God's gift to defending and mm-hmm. will be, you know, the Sergio Ramos. Let's see how fans <laughs> seem to think we were signing. But I do think he's a very, very good defender. 
Yeah, I think he's excellent as well. The the athleticism he showed to keep someone like Justed under wraps yeah. in in what is his second or third game back now from a lengthy absence. Obviously, it's all self-imposed, but it, it, it showed great maturity. He showed some great calmness on the ball, and I think his passing was really incisive and probably something that not a lot of people would have realised. As you say, they they maybe have been distracted by the prowess that he had in the air, his one-on-one challenging, his just general reading of the play, but I thought his distribution was excellent, and the amount of times that we played into the midfield straight from the centre-halves instead of the usual... Ream to Mawson, Mawson to Ream, Ream to Brian, <laughs> Brian to Bream, and then it was just... Really, really nice to see us go through the motions a little bit more. I said this on full time the other night, but there was one moment in the second half where Hector goes forward for a set piece or something and ends up staying up there for a couple minutes and has a yeah he gets in left he, channel yeah, yeah and he you know his his feet you realize how quick they actually are. There were a couple times where he came out of challenges where he danced out of them and you go you know this is a big man who's not only solid, not only great in the air, not only you know whatever. But is you know is agile has got all these sort of things and yeah. and and you know I, we're not pretending I, I love the Virgil and Mike and if if the pod is not named that it will be the closest <laughs> second in the history of Fulhamish pods but you know it's it, it's like when you watch Van Dyke play there's a calmness to how he does things there's a calmness to that last challenge and you know what Michael Hector may not be Virgil Van Dyke but for the championship you'd be hard pressed to find a better player like that. Well, look, you know how disappointed squad. Sheffield Wednesday fans were right. when they found out he wasn't going back. I think that says volumes. Mm. You know, it wasn't, I think the problem with Fulham is we got so caught up in our own defensive woes that we started to elevate him to a godlike status. Yeah, but you know exactly. what? He's been absolutely exceptional. And I think that he deserves all the credit coming his way. Let's talk about Dennis Adoy's goal. <laughs> <laughs> Celebration and, uh, can, can we just there, there's something I want to really quick uh, sort of the Dennis Adoy point because since watching Dennis the man has the best jump like like if we ranked top five Fulham leapers right like you saw the Cristiano Ronaldo goal where he's you know how high up the ground same thing with Brian McBride where one of my co- we were talking to a friend about this on the other night he's only six foot tall I'm six foot three. Brian McBride used to get up there and you would think, my God, the man's yeah. like seven foot, eight foot tall. Heide Helgerson as well. Heide yeah, yeah. Helgerson used to have some leap on him. Yeah, Dennis. I love Dennis's leap. I mean, my God, the dude's practicing it before the games and he, you know, famously against Derby, you know, gets up there. Love Dennis. And, he, you know, he's obviously going to, we're going to get onto this, but just want to acknowledge Dennis and his leaping ability. It's got to be up there in the top five Fulham leapers of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. The important list. It's um, it, it was a real shame that it got ruled out. And, and something that I said on full time was, I don't mind if it's offside or not. Yeah. Like, that's not the point. If it's off, if you think it's offside, put your flag up. Right. And if you don't, don't. don't yeah. But there is absolutely no way you can put your, your flag up 25 seconds after. Dennis has headed the ball into the net, fallen run on off. the floor, got up off the floor, run off, and done a double somersault before the linesman And all the raises fans are watching exactly the same well, thing. Like the Everyone first, turns as to soon as I As soon as I saw it go in, I was like, he's probably off. So I looked over to the lino, no flag, and he gave a weird thumbs and up. And he goes back to the... The line that you're supposed yeah. to go to for the goal, like at the top of the mm. six-yard box, box or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so who knows what but was you, going through in his, head. his? I don't want to defend the linesman, but there is a point to say. I saw a video. I can't remember which Twitter account it's from, but it's directly across the line of the yeah. box, and you can see Dennis celebrating, but the lino is talking on his headset. Mm. So he might have been talking to the ref, and in which case he said, "Well, I can give it," and the ref's been like, "If you're sure, give it. If you're not, don't." 
and then he puts his flag up. So I don't know. I think we could have, we, we've been robbed out of a goal here. There's no yeah, doubt. The, about the one it. thing I can say is let's give a yellow card to match of the day for trying to you know subtweet go after Dennis Adoy for his <laughs> premature celebration. Come on, match of the day, you're better than that yeah, stuff. Like, come day. on. All right. After the break, we're going to be having a little bit of chat about the Mitrovic debate, <laughs> which surfaced on social media after the game. We're going to answer some of your questions and take a quick look at Charlton. See you in a minute. Don't go anywhere. Hello, Dom here. If you want an extra Fulham audio fix each week, check out the Fulham Fan Show on Love Sport Radio, which is every Wednesday from 9 until 10pm UK time. There's plenty of Fulham discussion and regular interviews with ex-players too. If you can't listen live, just search for Fulham Fan Show in your podcast app of your choice and get it on demand whenever you like. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Jack Collins. I'm joined by the Professor Ben Jarman and our favourite American, Nathan Martin. USA. <laughs> on MLK Day. <laughs> on MLK Day. On MLK Day. Um, right, let's talk about Mitrovic. Um, because on social media after the game, a couple of bits exploded about people saying we're better without Mitrovic, we're not better without Mitrovic. A whole host of opinions on the, on the situation. Yeah. I think it's important to to talk about it and I think there's a lot of different opinions and a lot of different ways of approaching this uh, you know Sammy uploaded a video to Twitter which basically cut off the end of his thing saying which was basically more of a a rounded piece should we say so it felt like a, a bit of an attack but look I think there's, there's a case to be made not that we're better without Mitrovic but we play differently and I think that something that's almost impossible to deny is that we're more creative Without Mitrovic, we create more chances. We're just much worse at st- sticking them away. And and look, if Mitrovic had been on the end of all those chances on Friday night, we would have had. He would have had a hat trick. We would have won four four nil, five nil, uh, and all of those things are good. But would we have created the same amount of chances without the fluidity of that front three and the pace they displayed to get into those positions? So that's where we're going to start. I'm going to throw this to you, Nathan, because you are chomping at the bit to get a word in here. Well, let's let's be honest. Let's just let's start with what needs to be said. You know, based on what we saw the other night, you know, I think Fulham should, you know, really consider just selling Mitrovic for the profit <laughs> that they can make off of it, reinvesting it back in the team. We've got a, you know, complete side. We don't, we don't need Mitrovic anymore. Oh, yeah. We okay. cut this up, cut this video up, put it on Twitter. I'm sure we'll have some, you know, solid interactions. Probably get twenty or thirty million for him. Invest back in the side. Who needs Mitrovic going for it? No, come on. This is not a binary equation of we either love Mitrovic or we hate Mitrovic. Everyone here loves Mitrovic. You know, you started the podcast off. We've got T-shirts with this man's face, and we love his attitude. We love everything he brings to the equation. He's the best player in the championship. (laughs) He is the best player. And look, he's also – we love – you know, just his celebrations. I love the WCW, you know, <laughs> his future career, you know, with uh, was AEW, Tony Khan's <laughs> side venture. I look forward for some crossover appeal. Um, but Fulham is a different side when Mitrovic is in the lineup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we know with the championship in particular, and, and let's be honest, also the Premier League, because our tendency of relying just on Mitrovic up top, it didn't really yield to a brilliant season, whatever other things were going on. Um, you need more than one way of cutting a team open. Yeah. And, you know, last year, you know, we saw that in the Premier League. We saw it a bit in our brilliant championship, you know, promotion w- winning season. And we're seeing it this year. You know, we need multiple ways to open teams up. We can't just rely on TC and Mitro. And just because we have Knockhart and Caviero on either side doesn't mean we're going to just steam the league. And so having Bobby Reed up top provides us something different. It also provides us the ability to press in a way that Mitro, no one's doubting his love for the team or his, you know, he works very hard, but let's just be honest, Bobby Reed will probably beat Mitro on a, you know, full on 40 yard sprint. 
And so I, I'm such a big believer. I think this is maybe one of the best things that could have happened to Fulham, assuming Mitro comes back healthy, gives Mitro a few weeks off to rest up. Bobby gets a chance in the team. I'm, we're all big lovers of Bobby Decadova-Reed here. And it gives us a few other ways, if, if Scott will stick with the system of unpacking teams, you know, helping us push for not just the playoffs, but top two. Something that Gabriel Sutton has said at Football Lab, he's a commentator on the lower leagues and a good friend of the podcast. He says, as an outsider, it seems as though Scott Parker likes the centre forward to drop into the game, drop deep and link mm. the play, which is an aspect of the game that Bobby Reed seems more adept at. Maybe you create more chances without Mitrovic, but you're not as strong as finishing them. I wouldn't say that Bobby's better at uh, at dropping in, although I do think he adds a little bit more fluidity to the attack. But I do think that once Bobby drops in, plays the ball off and spins, he oh can get gosh. to the box. <laughs> Whereas if Mitrovic <laughs> links, drops, yeah. links play, drops in, plays it off and spins, he's not going to be near the box by the time the ball is whipped in. And yeah. I think there's something to be said in the idea that if we want to do this, we need to find a way of creating the chances that we made on Friday night with Mitrovic in the side. And there will be a way of doing that. It's just a way of working out the tactical flaws or tactical tweaks that actually make that happen. So it's a funny one in terms of where we're at. And, and I do think it's fair to say that we play differently. It's not, you know, that's not a criticism of Mitrovic. It's just a way that because those front three can interchange at will when, when all three of them are, are quick, direct, tricky players, you, you don't want Mitrovic out on the left wing. You know, and, and have Cavalero in the middle. You don't want him out on the right wing with knockout dropping into the centre. You want Mitrovic to be in the middle finishing chances. And therefore, you have to look at how you make that happen while keeping the creativity that we displayed. Yeah, it's a bit of a madness really, isn't it? Because on Twitter, you get polarising opinion where if you feel like we played better without Mitrovic, then you obviously hate Mitrovic and your opinion is completely invalid. But then at the same time, if you like Mitrovic, then you can't really understand that we actually did play better for 25 minutes without his presence. And I think there are obviously two sides to this argument is that firstly, Mitrovic, as you say, Jack is not as fast as Bobby Reed, and therefore it makes it really hard to get the best out of him, especially in a league where in a championship it's quite feverant in terms of its pace. It's a very much an up-tempo league where people are looking to exploit gaps and actually you're seeing more and more that it's becoming a sort of Premier League type of blueprint mm -hmm. for play because people are doing quicker interchanges people are looking at pace a lot more than they are looking at power like they used to in the championship but also having Mitrovic in the team sort of I don't know I think it reverts us to like a certain type of um, style of play whereby we rely too much on his presence um, mm -hmm. and if you get two centre-halves that stick to him like glue like for example the Charlton defenders did or when we played Luton Town we had Sonny Bradley and Matty Pearson stuck to Mitrovic or, Bre or Brentford for that matter or, or we, Brentford. we did absolutely nothing in that game yeah exactly then it, it makes it really really hard to get players in and around him and get the best out of Mitrovic it's, Mitrovic can be the best player in a championship but if you're being marked by two massive centre-halves it's really, really difficult to get to escape their clutches. And I think one thing that having Mitrovic in that team does is extend the gap between the midfield and the forward line. And it's not a criticism of Mitrovic, it's just the way he's told to play in that he will stick on the last defender or he'll drop in just slightly. But um I feel like the rhythm we had up front with those two in those three interchangeable wingers was really refreshing and actually something as Nathan said it makes us less one-dimensional because it becomes very very quick to understand what Fulham are going to go and do if you've got Mitrovic in there where you're trying to get the get the ball straight into him him to hold it up 
for other people to come into play or you're getting the ball out wide to swing in for Mitrovic to head. It becomes quite telegraphed and I think that we've seen that Fulham become a more flexible outfit when Mitrovic is out of it. It also allows us to get up and down the pitch quicker. It allows us to, to work through the transitions because you've got three people that can turn and go in Cavalero, Knockhart and uh, Deckard over Reed. And I, I think it really just gives us an, an an air of mystery that we wouldn't have if we had Mitrovic up there. And that doesn't mean that I hate Mitrovic or the way we play with Mitrovic. It's just different. Yeah, you just have to accept it. I just think that what is showed on Friday isn't that we're better without Mitrovic or that we don't need Mitrovic. I think what it is is it gives us a genuine plan B if things aren't working. And so what we've got to you know come to terms with the fact that it's actually not the end of the world if after 70 minutes it's just not working you go right we pull Mitrovic and I know he's so good at defending set pieces and he's so good at uh, at clinicality when when it comes to it but it doesn't mean it's going to always work against every team and the fact that we now have the ability to change things up and switch it around should we need to is something I think we should come to terms with and Scott's got to you know take a look at and be like sometimes I might have to pull him and that's an interesting concept. I'm not actually sure or convinced that the 4 3 3 Mitrovic as striker works because it, I think it makes us a little bit disjointed. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, for me, you have to have someone up there to support Mitrovic, especially if he's left alone or isolated. That's where I think if we start to see it transition in, you may start to see a five at the back with two strikers, Mitrovic being one, Bobby Reed hopefully being the support striker. Should we move on to Charlton? Yeah. You excited? Trip to the Valley? I'm really excited to go back to the Valley. It's the first time I've been there in a long time. It wasn't since I was about year seven or eight at school since I've been to the Valley. I love so the I'm valley. very excited to go it's back special there. Ground. It's a really good, really good ground. Yeah, I've got a I've got a colleague, a former colleague who's a, a big Charlton supporter, so I've gone a couple of times and it's a it's a special old ground. You know, it's a sort of old place neighborhood ground, a bit like Craven Cottage, different different vibe, different look. But you know, you got the sort of the old pubs, the old uh the old houses that are all sort of surrounding the ground and, and you know you can still sort of imagine the hundred thousand plus people that used to come and kind of come and come and watch the club and it's gonna and you know we think about the last time we played charlton you know in 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 the fall and just what a what an absolute banger of a game that was mm-hmm. you know really really hard on the heart hard on the the uh blood pressure and uh wednesday night promises to be nothing different no, absolutely. It is you know, under the lights is always special, but in an old ground like that, in a you know, a London derby without maybe the, the edge that sometimes you get from London derbies, there's no real bad blood between Fulham and Charlton. But it does feel like, you know, a special occasion. And also and something that Joe Sanson pointed out on Twitter earlier on today was that if we win this, we've got we go a point behind Leeds. And they have a week and a half to think about it because they don't play until, you know, almost a week later. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where you go, OK, that get in their head, you know, yeah. and they've got Millwall next. And obviously Leeds and Millwall is going to be an absolute bloodbath, you'd imagine, in terms of how much those two clubs dislike each other. Yeah. You know, so so on top of that, they've got that. And, you know, in the back of their heads, they're going Fulham are one point behind us. Fulham are one point behind us. We need to win today. Yeah. And, you know, the crowd get nervous, the players get nervous. And that's the kind of thing you want. You want to be absolutely in their head. So this is actually a huge game for Fulham. Yeah, I think we're having like a low-key resurgence a little bit in terms of our consistency as well. I think of the last five, obviously, there's been one loss, one draw, but then three victories. And we're picking up points rather steadily now. And I think it's nice to see this consistency come back to Fulham, um, albeit had a little bit of a rocky patch recently <laughs> but it would be it would be really nice to see us kick on now obviously it's really hard when a team's 
10, 12 or 9 points in front of you because it seems like so far away. But as soon as that team becomes one point ahead, two points ahead, it's so easy to call that back. They drop one result, we get a result, we're level. It's such a mental game. It's like a game, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge and it is, it is really understated how the mental side of football can, can be affected day in day out. You know, one of the things I was just thinking about was the last time we saw Charlton play, you wit- witnessed a battle of the Colossuses where mm. Mitro going against the two big, you know, center backs that, that Charlton have. And it was, you know, very retributional, just back and forth, just proper. And it ended nicely with the two players showing a bit of respect to each other. And Charlton play with that sort of scrappiness, you know, and you sort of wonder, what we're just going back to our point. You know what if Fulham line up the way that they did on Friday night? Which well, imagine I t- they will. I well, mean, which I was they gonna, should. I was going to come on to what our lineup's going to be, but some, something else I suppose before before that is that Conor Gallagher was there, scored, yeah, right. and ran the game when yeah. we played them last. He's gone. He's gone to Swansea. They've brought in Marcus Madison from Peterborough, who has dominated <laughs> in the in the divisions below for so long, and he's been such a creative force for Peterborough. He, he's been after this kind of chance to prove himself in the Championship a while, but. He's still going to be settling in, getting to yep. grips with the system. This is a big opportunity because Gallagher was so key for them. Well, they're in a little bit of turmoil at the moment, aren't they? Boyer came out uh, just after the weekend and said that they're missing nine first-team players and um, they're having to play youth players in, in their positions and, and they're doing a really good job of it. But obviously, the, the, the quality, the gap in quality is, is there to, for all to see. They've won one of their last five um, and it looks like they're key striker is going to leave them in the next couple of weeks obviously Taylor's Lyle Taylor's contract's up at the end of the year and there've already been two bids for him or uh, one is apparently from Bristol City so he'll be going soon and Bowyer hasn't made it particularly low key that he wants to ship Taylor out and get more reinforcements in and when you're still playing 36 year old Darren Prattley as your <laughs> defensive midfielder <laughs> slash, that, he'll score a hat slash hat half it's a uh, a little bit He'll add a buy all the away fans. Yeah. <laughs> it's also um, where you, it's also where I think that someone like Hector, you know, Big Heck, can come in and hopefully do a job because that was one of the things we really lacked the last time we played Charlton was that sort of sense of spine. We gave up a couple. You know, yeah, there were Bond scored ahead of. Yeah, I mean, there there were nice goals, but I mean, like nine this should season. not be allowed yeah, to happen. It was such an easy header. It was, it was such an easy header, and you know, this is to to your point, to what Jack's point. This is a prime opportunity for us to. To, to get three points mm-hmm. and and it's also prime because we're, we don't have Mitrovic so we hopefully have a bit more of a fluidity to move this around and exploit some of those holes mm-hmm. whereas if we have Mitrovic on the pitch and we're just going to keep banging on this <laughs> it means we don't have quite so many options and Charlton can line up in such a way that they know Fulham's going to do this we're going to do this let's see how yeah. it goes well I guess we've seen that battle we don't need <clears throat> right. to see it again and I'm sure that Mitrovic if he was available would be chomping at the exactly. bit to get, exactly. to get a, a, a one up on the players that managed to keep yeah. him quiet last time but he isn't so who would you line up with, Ben? Uh, I would go for an unchanged lineup. Yeah. In in this moment in time, if that everyone's still available, which I believe they are, um, I think that having a doy at right back it gives us a little bit of an ace up our sleeve because tactically, and this isn't something that I touched upon in the in the first half um, against Middlesbrough, when you saw Joe Bryan go down the left hand side, a doy tucked in. And the whole defence shifted across and yep. Kevin McDonald sat in front of him. And it was almost as if we finally figured out that if one fullback goes, the other one needs to stay. <laughs> it's a novel uh, concept. Yeah, and I, yeah. <laughs> and with Charlton playing the way they are, you see obviously Charlton are a reflection of their manager. It's a lot of guts, it's a lot of gore, uh, gore and unfortunately not much glory unless you count Kieran Dyer fighting Lee Bowie on the pitch of St. James's Park as glory. 
it'll be tough. And I think Adoy's in there and offers a physicality that we need. And, and a, a threat a from set pieces. And a, th- and a threat from set pieces that no one else has. Absolutely. Same for you, Nath. Yeah, same for me. I mean, we, we, we played well the other night, didn't get some of the goals we should have. And, you know, the other thing that we said going to this bit with Mitrovic is that we want Scotty to sort of settle on a lineup that works for him. And so, you know, if I was Scott, wouldn't see anything wrong with the first 45 minutes. His players lost a bit of concentration. I would, you know, maybe pull TC aside and say, you know, we've got to keep our eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. But everyone did their job the other night. We didn't get the goals. Football is also a game where goals don't always come, and you can't. That's why XG is is sort of out there to sort of remind you that there are other things that might <laughs> point to signs of promise. And so for me, going to the valley, Couldn't keep the same it. side, and you know, hopefully we have a few more goals. Hopefully a more of a comfortable result. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think so. I, I mean, I was going to make a, a separate point to what what you've just said, Ben, which was that if Charlton are, as you say, fielding youngsters in positions, maybe it is a time to get the fullbacks absolutely bombing on and, yeah. and, and disrupt them and, and really do like overload them sensory to begin with. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was going to suggest potentially bringing Cyrus Christie back in. Um, but you make a very valid point about the way that the defence have to learn to work with each other. And, yeah. and, and, and you convinced me. So <laughs> I'm you, actually going to... the first just... time that's ever happened on a podcast. Before. Yeah. I'm just going to actually agree someone. with you. <laughs> Jack actually agreeing with me is the first. Just I always agree problem. with you. Um, Right, a couple of questions from people. Let's yep. work our way through. Nathan, my favourite thing in the world is that you asked yourself a question. On Twitter, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. you replied to our Mr. questions. Jar- to Mr. Jarman, Mr. Jarman was giving me grief about this, but I just thought, you know, I asked myself this this question as I was walking to the tube today, so why should I not ask? Right, we're not going to start with it, though. Ourselves. We're not going to start. We're going to start with a couple of questions <laughs> about new boy Terence Congolo. Yeah. Um, and this is from Ollie Beals. He says, has Terence Congolo been drafted in to phase out Tim Ream? Or is Parker thinking of playing a back three? And let's start with you, Ben, because I know Nathan is reeling over the suggestion that we would drop Tim Ream. <laughs> um, I think that Congolo has been picked up because he's got a lot of attributes in his arsenal that we desperately need. He's very tall. He has the ability to play multiple positions. He's quick. He's very athletic. And he's a good ball player at centre-half. And I think what became very very clear to us is that playing half a season with two centre-halves who drop in and out of form as quickly as Reem and Mawson do leaves us incredibly exposed especially against uh, teams where they're physical and they like to play in behind because these are two guys that aren't the fastest all due respect given to them Um, I think that a partnership of Congolo and um, Hector would be Firstly, very physical. Secondly, play the ball quite well. And thirdly, um, be able to cover up any mistakes that we have from our midfield. And obviously, with Kevin McDonald coming back in, you would expect that to diminish slightly. Um, playing Congolo at five at the back would be excellent. I, I think, honestly, honestly, having Tim Ream there as a as sort of like the middle of, of the three, maybe acting as sort of like a sweeper and an old school and having Congolo to his left and Hector to his right would be an excellent balance to that to that back three. Also allows Joe Bryan to push on and exploit what he and demonstrate what he did against Villa and uh, maybe gives Adoy or, or Christie a chance to get forward as well. Yeah, no, I think that's reasonable. And you, you wrote you wrote the book literally <laughs> on this one. You wrote an article. I did yeah. about our new signing. I mean, a lot of people won't. You know, the people might. Some people might not have read that. Yeah. Um, you should. It's really good. Um, but I mean, I guess probably go and give people a little bit of a lowdown about what we've achieved. Yeah. So Congolo is someone that moved from Monaco to Huddersfield uh, just over about. 18 months ago um, for 18 million pounds which obviously is, is no small sum mm. um, 
he, well, that's a very that was a very good Monaco side as well that he's coming yeah, from. This is like it was. <laughs> admittedly, he didn't settle that well in Monaco. In no, Monaco. They, they, but had, they have a lot of very good centre backs. Yeah, they, they, had, they had Glick, Jemison, Raggy, and a couple more who were basically keeping him out of the team. And actually, when he arrived at Huddersfield, they got exactly what they wanted: a ball playing centre mm. half who was very physical and could win a lot of battles in the air. And it, it, his first always. Oh, the back half of Huddersfield season when they survived, he was very, very good. Last year, he really struggled, but everyone in Huddersfield shirt struggled. And yeah, when yeah. you have a guy that come in like Jan Siever, you, you're going to struggle anyway because the, the football he was trying to implement just wasn't suiting Huddersfield and it was no way going to work. And then you get a really bad start to a championship season. And you're a player that, not forgetting, went to the World Cup at 20, <laughs> got a third place with Holland against all the odds with Van Howe as your manager. And then came back and won uh, a, a, a KMVB Cup, Cup two years in yeah. a row and an Eredivisie as the leading centre-half in a very good Feyenoord team. And then you have, obviously, a massive move to Monaco. Like You can see why he'd want to get out of there. He's, I think, naturally, he's quite a, a feisty character, but you can mould that in specific ways and I think Congolese is going to be a big pickup for us and if we can get the best out of him which I hope we can it'd be good for us so so let's go back to it's the same thing with Mitrovic right where this is not a binary sort of you know well if we like this new player then it means we obviously hate Tim Ream and we want to like phase him out of the lineup and I was reminded this today um, when I saw the clip of Vincent Company talking to the Anderlecht fans the ultras that are you know shooting off flares and he's trying to calm them down and you're going we've also this like where would City be if they'd kept been able to keep Company around for a bit longer and whatever happens with this with with Congola, like whether he turns out to be the absolute best version of himself, and Tim Ream has to take a back seat for a bit, you know if that happens, that's great. And hopefully Fulham and hopefully Tim Ream can have the ego and the presence of mind to say we we can exist with that. For me, I, you know this this is great. You need depth at every single position if we're going to go up and not via the playoffs. And this is where hopefully Fulham has a bit of an advantage. You know, it's not about signing one player that's going to change the entire team. It's about building depth, and it's about whether you're doing a five on the back line or four, where we can have the best possible outcome for that. And it's also same thing. We, we mentioned Steph, Joe, and Kmac. It's about the players on our team learning to play slightly different roles for the greater good of the team. And you know, whatever happens with Tim Ream, I think this weekend you don't change anything. You let the new player bet into the team. You figure out how it works. Great. But over the course of the season, you know, maybe Ream plays less minutes. But if that's good for the club, then I'm sure he'll be the first, you know, hopefully everyone's doing what's going to be best to get Fulham in the best position. Also, he's getting on. He, he is getting a little bit older. Yeah. Yeah. He needs, the, he needs going to be need that time to recover, recuperate. And if we yeah. can keep Tim Ream at the best level that he can possibly be at, at, at his age, then that's got to be a good thing. He, right? he is the wrong side of 30 now. No right. offense to any of our listeners or, or anyone in or the, in the, the room right now. Thank or you in very the room much. right now. Sorry, Nate. <laughs> um, and he had quite a big back injury. So right. I wouldn't be, he, obviously he slowed down a little bit. It, it's like, it's up to you to maintain him and to keep him fit and why you I mean obviously the club but like if that means he has to, he does a bit of a Ledley King and only trains sort of a couple of days a week and then then plays at the weekend then so be it you know it happens with all the older people in in sports you know you look at people who play hockey they some people don't train all week and they play of a night time you know it just happens yeah or you're Wayne Rooney or you're Wayne Rooney or you're you get Wayne really Rooney. fat and then you get a gambling <laughs> 
and then a gambling company <laughs> sponsor your return while your club goes slowly out of yeah, profit yeah your, your club spends 60 million in, yeah, in 10 and, years and, that, and now is in yeah. exclusive arrears and in real real issues right um, let's move Darby, on this is from Colin Magnabola he says what happens to Steven Sessegnon now he was first choice right back at the beginning of the season now third choice second maybe at a stretch will he get another chance this season Nate I'll go to you first on this one well let's start with the FA Cup you know let's 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 have him play against City this weekend I mean let's give Steven the chance when when it comes but at the same time and play the best 11 that you have out there and you know same thing you know with his brother or whoever else the reason that Ryan got on the pitch was because Ryan was one of the best 11 players at the club at that time and so you know it's up to Steven to elevate his game it's unfortunate for his personal development or personal story but you know it's just it's just a mark of being at a good club and let's look at you know, with the exception of someone like Phil Foden at City, it's good for these young players to have some some players to challenge them. It's good to have those those things. And Fulham has been a club that will give them the opportunity. If, if Steven can elevate it, that's great. It's one of those things where we're still not sure at what point Steven Sessegnon got injured, if he's properly right. returned to the club because he's now fit again or because the whole thing is so, you know, espionage. I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy him, his profession of admiration and love for Harry Arter as his absolute hero today on Twitter. I don't it know was if you fun. saw that. And we've got some Harry Arter coming up yeah, a little bit later someone on. Someone obviously uh, grabbed his phone and did a little bit of a number with it, which not the worst thing in the world that you well, got yeah. to No, but I think that, you know, we've got some Harry Arter content coming a little <laughs> later, so please don't go anywhere. There is a very special end to this episode. Let's keep rolling. Um, at FFC, Alvar says, is the unbeaten run on? I think this is premature, Ben. Yeah, very premature. Um, <laughs> we're still very much there to be got at in quite a number of areas of the pitch. So don't get ahead of yourself yet, Alvar, but I hope a good run's coming up soon. Nath, have we got no, have we got the capability to do something like we did before? I think, uh, you know, there's a, no, no, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way that we sometimes look at these questions. We go like, well, there's nothing to suggest that we will go on an unbeaten run. We've got you know, two games then. ago, two games ago, we got we got beaten by Reading quite comfortably at our own place. Right. It's Let, not. That's just one of the really things that irritates me is, is about not just football, but life. It's like if you pick the end result that you want of we want to get promoted or we want you know, to go on an unbeaten run, that's exactly the wrong way of going it about. The reason that you get to a 23 unbeaten is you stop focusing on the end result and you focus on the next 15 minutes. You focus on the next 30 minutes. You focus on the next 60, 90. And for Fulham, you know, it's the same problem with us trying to say, oh, we're going to get promoted this year. We're going to run the league. We're going to do whatever. And the, for the fans of saying, you know, well, we expect we're going to have these amazing games. It's that we've got to stop thinking with a sense of entitlement. And it's the same thing personally, you know, your career or whatever. It's just focus on what's right in front of you. I see 15 minute increments that promise of being of like, let's be honest, Fulham in 15 minute increments are the best team in the championship. Now, the problem is we can't go more than 30 mm. minutes at a time <laughs> of making that happen. But if Scott can build those 1530, then you start having a team that can build, you know, 90 minutes, 180 minutes, mm. 270, whatever it might be. Unfortunately, the fans like, you know, I heard everybody singing the 23 un unbeaten. I'm just like. Can we, we just got to get over this if we're going to actually focus on what's important this season. I just yeah. think Nate, Nate makes a great point there in that it's the it's building up in increments to becoming a great squad. And you saw, you talked about this on Five Live this weekend. There's a sense of inevitability about a good football team. And what you were saying about Liverpool, you sit there and you think their consistency is unmatched, right. unrivaled by any club in the world. And there's even if they're backs against the wall, there is a sense of inevitability that will come out of it the other side and it will be a positive result. Yep. 
You get that about Fulham, but only if the game lasted for roughly 27 and a half minutes. <laughs> but if the game was sort of, if they could build on that, as Nate says, we'd be an excellent team. We've got one of the best squads on paper. There are glimmers of hope that this squad can still continue to elevate itself. And as I said, like we're now third with a few points off Leeds and West Brom. There are massive signs to say that we can, can really kick on, especially with like McDonald returning, having more structure in the squad. And yeah, it's like, building up and building up I don't think we'll go 23 it's, it will never ever be matched by a Fulham team again I don't think um, but there is a chance that we could get this automatic promotion yeah absolutely I keep rolling David Manning at Roth Ream good handle he says will Matt O'Reilly get any more championship minutes personally I can't see him getting 90 more minutes in the league for the rest of the season and feel that by signing so many senior midfielders we've given him the justification to leave at the end of this season, which is a very good question. question. This is a really tough one, I think, because obviously you want to give minutes to players like Matt O'Reilly. You want to see them succeed. You want to see our academy products in the first team. But at at what cost? And I guess the the, the truth is that every time we've seen Matt O'Reilly, we've thought, yeah, really good. Uh, Especially the Southampton game in the League Cup earlier this season where he was the best player on the pitch. He came on you know, a couple of weeks ago, did really well in Harrison Reed's absence and was very tidy. I want to see more of him. Of course I do. But where where do you do that? And, and where do you get the minutes from if you... It's like you say, one one side of the fan base is going, I want to go 23 undefeated and, and win the league. And the other fan is going, we're not playing enough youth players. And I feel that there's been a... You know, there's, there's some sort of disparity there. Look, some of these players are probably good enough. Uh, and Matt O'Reilly leads the pack, I think. You know, young Jay Stansfield, probably a little bit too early to, to judge yet, but it, it, the signs are all good. But Matt O'Reilly, I think, is the furthest along in that development in terms of being accomplished. But it's so hard to play centre midfield for a side in the championship in, in a league that is combative. It is every couple of days. The work rates are insane. It's a really difficult position to come in and and start playing. And I think that if you're a winger or a a fullback, you have much more of a chance of being able to break into a side because it doesn't feel as integral to the entire caption of the game. And I think that that's what's harsh on O'Reilly and that he just plays a position where it's just hard to get in the squad. And you look at our midfield, you look at Arta, Kamak, Kearney, Johansson, Reed. Bobby Reed, even who's been playing in there, and you go, yeah, they're quite a lot. Of those players are really quite good, aren't they? And, and so I feel a bit for O'Reilly, but equally, you know, I hope his patience continues, and I hope that, like you said about Stephen Session on Nath, the FA Cup is maybe where he gets a chance to shine. And let's think about who we're playing this weekend, and someone like Foden, right? Foden would be a first-team player in how many other clubs, right? He's ridiculous. Eighteen, 18 and, and even his league. manager will come out and say that. And we're not saying Fulham is uh, by any means the Man City of the championship, but no, we, we have we have that. an incredibly talented <laughs> youth system of players that you know if we weren't under such pressure to go up, we'd have a bit more luxury of playing them, and we'd put put them into that lineup. And it's sort of a you know it's a curse of having a great development system, a great you know great signings. But you're exactly right. You know, it's like, are you really going to play Bernardo Silva with Phil Foden? It's a, it's a hard call when it comes to the yeah, managerial Bernardo Silva, sheet. Bernardo Silva's world-class. Right, exactly. Yeah, Phil Foden has the potential to be world-class. But right now, Bernardo Silva is already world-class. Right. And it's it's the same kind of argument at Fulham, exactly. right? It's not that... I'm not... This isn't me saying <laughs> that I think that Stephanie Hansen and Tom Kenny are world-class, because they're not. But, but they're championship class. They're and- absolutely... You know, some of the top midfielders in this division... 
And that goes out to Arta as well. And it goes out to Harrison Reed. And, you know, even a little bit further back, K-Mac was the heart of the team that went up and, and has come back and given us so much structure. And then you look and you go, O'Reilly, yeah, he has the potential to be as good as them, maybe better. But right now, is he? Probably not. And that's where you start to struggle. There's a massive part of me that still thinks that Matt O'Reilly is the natural successor to Kenny. And I think what really irked me a few weeks ago was when he played in that game and he came on and he had a little mistake that led to a goal. He got a a fair amount of bad press, I think we'd probably say, to put it lightly. But this is a guy who's like 18, 19 years old. He's going to make mistakes. And if you're going to put a player like him into the team, you have to expect him to make mistakes, whether they're good, they're bad, or they're ugly. And there'll be times when he might make a bad decision, but let's not lambast him because he's a guy that's trying to make his way. And you'll never get a 19-year-old that comes into a team and absolutely stands out. The only one that I can really think of is probably Kylian Mbappe. (laughs) But like... Or or Cess, yeah, but Cess did make a few rogue decisions in in his early days, but all young players do. You don't go into a new job and you suddenly are world-class. There is a a breaking-in period. But I think it would be really, really harsh if he didn't play another 90 minutes collectively over the season because he's got the talent. Um, It really comes down to how well we're managing games. And if there are Mm. games where, hopefully Charlton's one of them on Wednesday, where we're 3-0 up, just chuck him on for the last 15 minutes. Let yeah. him get hold of the ball. Let him the have a few faces to play. Very often yeah, I get, I get that. But like, he's there. Use him. There's nothing wrong with using him at all. And he's got the quality to do so. If, if Scott didn't trust him, we wouldn't have put him, him, put him into the game that he played um, the other week. It just, it just wouldn't have happened. I, I do think that long term, O'Reilly has a future here. And I think he knows that. Otherwise, he would have left by now. Okay, fair enough. Last question. And this is from Ibs, old friend of the pod. Hater of Don Betts, which puts him right in my good books. He <laughs> says, is Parker getting better and better? I suspect so, but wanting to know your guys' opinions. Nathan? You would be hard-pressed to look at the 11 that walk out or whatever and say that they're not improving in different ways, that they're not doing what the manager asks of them. And you see them, I've said this before, buying into a collective vision of what Scott, and it doesn't happen every week. And Again, that's another important point. Is like they're just humans. Some games they're going to have that they're off. Players don't show up every single week. Scott's got the players playing with a sense of purpose. They're happy. And so for me, let's just string a few games together. You get a few games under your belt where you start winning. We start putting those increments together. Let's win a few games where it's not down to the last minute. You know, those questions will go away. It was only like a month or so ago that everyone was talking about, you know, Parker finding the form that's turned everything around. And we're yeah. quite fickle. Ben? I think there are definitely signs there to say that he's getting much much better uh, especially at game management he's making really good substitutions mm-hmm. recently especially uh, in that Middlesbrough game when he realised that the tide had turned against him I still think there's an element of naivety about Scott where he doesn't fully realise that some parts of the game have gone against him um, too quickly mm-hmm. it, sometimes it can take him 10-15 minutes before he realises that there are certain tweaks that the opposition have made but that will grow. Um, and I do think that there are decisions he's making that uh, he's getting right. So against Middlesbrough, figured out they were going to play over back three, puts three really quick players up there, pushes the team up the pitch to get in and around them and won the ball high and created loads of chances in the first 25 minutes. At Derby, he realised that their focal point was going to be a couple of their wide players and, and a, a deep-lying midfielder and put someone on him and just done a job. Um, I think there are some bits where he's a little bit naive I think Fulham's marking at corners especially in in games against physical teams is just a little bit lacking and just needs looking at but I think 
slowly but surely we're starting to see something come together now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there are signs. I think that's exactly right. There yeah. are signs that Scott is getting better at certain elements of the game. And look, where you know it's taken to this point for us to, to see it. And, and look, maybe it will fall around and, and, and next week we'll have lost three games on the chart and we'll be having to look at it again. Yeah. But at the moment, from where we sit, the, the game against Middlesbrough was excellent for for the first 30 minutes and and also we looked reasonably solid uh, for for most of the game if we can extend those periods of of dominance into well be clinical with our chances if we'd scored three goals in the first 20 minutes and then we'd ended the game 3-0 mm-hmm. and we'd played exactly like we did for the whole rest of the game then no one would be like oh that was nerve-wracking we right. you know we'd be like good they took their foot off the gas and they 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 managed the game really well but actually because we weren't clinical enough it did feel like it went against us i think that as those kind of things happen and hopefully if we can be more clinical with those moments and then see out games in a sensible manner without you know expending useless energy i think that will be a good thing and and hopefully we'll see more and more of that as the season progresses yeah i think teams are often a reflection of their manager aren't they and fulham are at the moment a reflection of scott some really really good pieces some exciting pieces but some way to go i think they're a little bit naive at times but we'll get there we will get there right let's name this pod and we will close this off with a bang yeah it's got to be Virgil van Mike, isn't it unmatched yeah absolutely well thank you so much to Nathan Martin thank you thank you thank you so much to Ben Jarman thanks JC thanks, I've Nate. been Jack Collins this has been the Fulhamish podcast and to see you out we've got another special from our man George Cooper <laughs> this <laughs> is cool for has My name is Harry Otter, I'm on loan from Bournemouth Town I'm a naughty little player, but don't ask me to calm down People say I am here cos my bro-in-law's the boss But I always put a shift in and I'm tidy with a cross You can tell I am committed cos I love a good head loss If you clip my ankles, I'll come at you with a fist I am a nutty psycho, but I'm not a nepotist, it's cool for has I like to pull the strings and they all know I'm fucking hard People say I'm flippant cause I've had a few red cards I always act on instinct, haven't got the time to think On a night out I'm a top laugh and I'd buy your bird a drink I'd get her a Bacardi then I'd flash the girl a wink I've got a crunching tackle and I'll finish with pizzazz I stick it in top bins and then you know it's cool for has, it's cool for has Get it in defence and then I'll turn it to attack If you come in late, well then you're heading for a smack I ping it left, I ping it right, I ping the ball all day I win the ball at home and I will win the ball away I'm injured every week though, so that's when I actually play So lock up your daughters, cause they cannot prepare For that cheeky little smile and that cracking head of hair It's called Vaz Go on son You love it you slags Pick that out of the onion bag. What's that, mate? Yeah, it's what I thought. It's cool for has. It's cool for has. Name is Harry Otter, I'm on loan from Bournemouth Town. I'm a naughty little player, but don't ask me to calm down. People say I am here cos my bro-in-law's the boss But I always put a shift in and I'm tidy with a cross And you can tell I am committed cos I love a good head loss If you clip my ankles I'll come at you with a fist I am a nutty psycho but I'm not an epicist It's called Vaz 
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. A cash recommends. recommends.